Hey everybody, what's up? This is Ty Digger, and tonight we're going to talk about a new name change in DC. You're going to get a peep of my Furious Five MCs and Nick Cannon tripping. All that on tonight's episode of the Ty Digger Show. Everybody, what's up? July 15th, when you finally get this episode of tonight's Ty Digger show. And I'm your host, Ty Digger. Let's first thing first, that's a um, little celebration, I believe, is in order because the Washington, D.C. American football um, team, formerly known as the Redskins, have officially retired that name um, over the last week since we last spoke. Um, this is big because this is one of the name changes that's actually had people on both sides, fans growing up who remember them as the Redskins. And I don't want to um, call those people correct, or I don't want to give credence to their um, opinion, but you got to think about sports is something a lot of people grow up with, um, especially hardcore fans like that somebody close in that family was a fan of that team. So you become a fan of that team because that bonded you. Um, I watched, started watching baseball because my great-grandmother watched baseball. She was a Yankee fan. And I started watching baseball time when the Mets started getting good and I became a Mets fan. But us watching baseball, that bonded us together. That's something I did with an elder in my family who I loved and cared for and who cared and loved for me. And that's something that we have. Um, me and my mom would stay up late watching football games. That's something me and her had, like us watching football. That's that what puts us together. Um, for most of you that know me, know I love history. That's something I watched with my dad. Um, Westerns, um, war movies, stuff like that. Like I watched that with my dad that connected me with him. That's something that me and him had. And that might not be something um, your other siblings or other family members have, but it was something that 
that older person like that you end up liking because you love that person and you wanted to connect with them. But um, bringing it all back, um, what I was talking about. So I understand why a lot of people were against that name change. They was against the Redskins. And let's call them the Redskins because we're not going to be able to do it soon. Um, they was against them changing the name because that's something that connected them with a loved one or a family member. So I do understand that. Now, with that being said, it is about time that name got changed. Um, this is long overdue. That name is extremely racist. Um, and it serves no purpose other than tear down the Native Americans who were here first, you know, and we'll talk more about the Native Americans later. That's going to tie into our show at the end. But um, the way that they were uh, abused and the way even growing up, we talked about those Westerns, the way they were talked about, they were called savages, redskins, it, because of their color of their skin. But that name was used to demonize them. Okay. It was used to demonize them. And once you demonize a people, this is in the uh, genocide handbook. Once you demonize a people, it makes it easier to slaughter them. You don't feel as bad about killing them. Um, for those of you in your forties, that's listening to this show or late thirties. You remember the old uh, Chuck Norris films, uh, the eighties films, with Arnold Schwarzenegger um, or some American hero um, tearing down commies, um, communists. You did not feel as bad for the communists or the Russian guys who were killed in these films because you were indoctrinated to believe that they were the enemy, that they were evil, they were bad. When you watch uh, Vietnam movies, you don't feel bad about the murder of these uh, Vietnamese because they are seen as the enemy. They are seen as barbaric. They are seen as evil. And I guess this is, goes along with the propaganda um, to be able to get people um, to finance a war or people to stomach a war. One, you got to demonize and unite. You got to demonize the opponent and unite the people against them. Second, you got to make them seem subhuman. The less human that you make a person, it makes it easier to murder them. It makes it it made it easier to send the Native Americans blankets with uh, smallpox on it, uh, so they can get sick. It's easy to introduce alcohol into the reservations, so those people who are out of work become drunk and um, can't be productive members of society. It makes it easy when you hear a Native American woman missing, you don't. Feel bad. People don't feel bad about that. Okay, so again, let's bring that back. The Redskin name had to be changed, and I'm glad the NFL finally changed it. But I want to highlight something here. The Redskins didn't change the name because some moral uh, turnaround. They changed it because Nike pulled sponsorship. Uh, FedEx pool sponsorship. And that tells me one thing, and I, I don't think this gets enough attention. We can force anybody to do the right thing. I'll say that again. We can force people to do the right thing. We can make people do the right thing. 
people don't do the right thing because they feel like somebody would excuse it. Or if I come up with a clever way of describing it, um, people would overlook it. No, it's wrong. And we can force you to be a productive member of society. We just don't choose to. You know, we don't choose to force people to become productive members of society. Um, if we live in a community and somebody's drug dealing in that community or somebody's doing something in that community that we don't, that's morally wrong, like touching children or killing, raping, uh, beating his wife, um, abusing his spouse, abusing his kids, the community, society comes together and tells this person, no, that's not what we're doing here. That's that's wrong. And you're going to uh, correct that. Either we're going to find a way to put to lock you up and remove you out of this community, or we're going to stop uh, coming to your businesses. We're going to pull funding. Um, we're going to fire you from your job. Yo, we can get people to do the right thing if we want to do it. And before I go to commercial, I want to say that's important when we talk about reforming the um, the prison system, uh, re- reforming law enforcement. We can get people to do the right thing and eliminate the need for prisons, the need for jails. You know, we can find other ways to deal with that problem, except outside of putting somebody whose crime is selling a weed, selling a bag of weed. Uh, who crime is, okay, maybe they lived outside of a school district and try to get their kids into a better school. Um, or their crime is a traffic uh, ticket. Maybe they parked in the wrong place. But outside of violent crimes, a lot of those people who are in prison are don't really need to be there. They don't need to be there to learn that lesson, you know. We send people to prison, and this another thing we talk about prison reform. We got to find a way to rehabilitate these people. If we can't rehabilitate them, then that's a problem. We shouldn't be letting them out until they are helped, which means we probably have to put more funding into mental health programs, uh, more funding into mental health programs at school to prevent these kids from even going there. But there has to be a way for us to change the system to go from one that's just beating and locking people up to something to actually, okay, if somebody runs a foul, major foul of the law, we can find a way to habilitate this person so we can put them back in the street. And if not, we'll find a place to put this person that's humane where they could just basically be by themselves and talk to counseling, okay, get counseling throughout their lives. At the end of the day, we all won't people to be um, to be better, especially people with mental issues. But, you know, I'm not saying that we should just let killers and stuff go. Definitely we should have a place to lock extremely violent people up. But I think there's too many people that ends up in prison that kind of probably don't need to be there. Okay. So let's go to the commercial break. When we come back, you're going to hear Ty's Furious Five. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back. Um, before we get into my Furious Five, um, I was reading today that a local Durham group is actually um, asking UNC, University of North Carolina, to change their name from Tar Heels because it has connections to the Confederate States of America. Um, that's interesting because growing up as a Tar Heel, there's like many reasons why it's called the Tar Heel State. And actually the nickname um, predates the Civil War, but it's kind of a mystery. But most uh, historians would say that it, it, it comes from North Carolina being a key supplier of naval stores, um, tar pits, turpentine produced by the uh, pines of the state. Um, this was used to coat the wooden ships to prevent leakage and damage from shipworms. Um, so it became known as the, well, one of the reasons it was known as the Tar Heel State. Um, and North Carolina was actually the world leader in um, shipping stores um, from 1720 to um, the mid 1850s, I believe, or 1870s, um, 1870s. So that name comes from the um, before the Civil War. Um, another story, and this sounds the same as the Civil War story that I'm about to tell, but basically it depends on how you look at it. Um, during a battle, um, North Carolina soldiers um, allegedly ran. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. North Carolina soldiers were out in the open fighting the British Army, and they were like the only unit that was actually still standing up to them. And George Washington, allegedly, mind you, said those Tar Heel boys, those boys from North Carolina fight, those guys from North Carolina fight like they got tar on their heels. Um, same thing comes with the uh, Civil War. Uh, North Carolina units left in the open facing off Union soldiers that um, Lee talked about, bless those Tar Heel, Tar Heel boys. Um, another one, other units ran and somebody asked any more tar down the old North State. And one of them responded, not, not a bit. Old Jeff brought it all up and basically said, put it on your heels and make it stick better in the next fight. Um, again, I tend to believe, and I'm pretty sure most people will agree that this phrase, the Tar Heel State, started before uh, the Civil War. Um, but... What I fear is a lot of people are going to use this to somehow say, oh, now they're coming after UNC because they was able to get away with changing the Redskins. And it's told, it's two totally different things. I mean, if you're going to go that far, you might as well change the name of the states that was in the uh, South uh, during the Civil War, if you want to go that far. So moving on, let's get to what you've been waiting for. Well, what I want to talk about, I don't really talk about music a lot um, as much as I want to here. Um, but I copied a little bit off from Rock the Bills Radio. They have their guest artists, um, guest celebs come in, and they talk about their various five, their top five MCs, or their favorite five. But um, mostly a lot of uh, the MCs, the people who come on, they don't actually name these guys their best five. Um, it's kind of like the five that means something um, to them, you know, that means 
means something to them that's relevant to them. So just want to uh, drop my top five for a second, my Furious Five. Um, at number five, MC Light. Um, I know I've, I know Roxanne Shante comes before her, but MC Light's flow, um, her ability to carry a song, the song content, and if we just talk about it now, just her longevity in the game, um, her longevity in the game puts her, and for me, puts her in the, in the top five. Um, number four, uh, this might come as a surprise to some of you guys, but Philadelphia's own, no, not Will Smith, but Tracy Lee. Um, when I first heard Many Faces, yo, it was literally one of the most refreshing most breathtaking albums that I ever heard. Um, and this comes at high praise. I know a lot of you are probably listening like, huh? But the, the concept behind it um, is amazing. The bars that he's spitting in the production is top notch. Um, Stars in the East, East uh, sample Nights Over Egypt. Uh, this crazy, um, crazy music. Um, and he also has a song with Busta Rhymes, um, The Party uh, Remix, and Biggie Smalls. And he comes in the studio and holds his own with two legends. So definitely he he deserves a spot here. Um, number three, ODB. Yes, Dirt Dog himself. One of my favorite rappers. I still remember being in high school when I first saw The Mystery of Chess Boxing and then when Old Dirty came in, he told, I, I feel like he still, he steals the song at that moment. Um, he totally uh, steals the song. I get the album. Um, I listen to Shame on it, and it is crazy. And then just to think of his name, Old Dirty Bastard, like there's no father to his style. That's, that's just saying that there's nobody that created the style. This is, this is my style. Um, Colorful character, man, and gone too gone too soon. His remix with um, Ryan Carey, psh, masterpiece. I mean, the story behind it is crazy in itself. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have time to really uh, rehash it. But if you ever feel down or you feel you need a laugh, please look up the story of uh, Old Dirty Bastard recording his verse for the Fantasy Remix. Okay. Gone too soon, man. Rest easy, Dirk McGurk. Number two, Ice Cube. Yo, what more needs to be said about an OG? When we talk about um, guys like LL Cool J, um, Rakim, Karis One, I'm talking about guys who've been rocking since the 80s. So Ice Cube definitely pops up in that conversation. Um, pretty much the backbone. He wrote a lot of stuff for NWA and when he left MWA, a lot of people didn't believe he was gonna he was gonna be big, you know, it's it was gonna be a struggle for him. But yo, that dude turned out one of the most amazing careers ever. And he's still going strong. Just think about this. When you sit down with your kids and watch an ice cube family movie, you can be able to just tell him like there was a time where this guy and family should never be in the same sentence. Um, he was that feared, um, air quotes, um, by Americans. Okay. And finally, number one, 
the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls. God bless the guy from Brooklyn, the king of New York. Um, just the way his flow, his storytelling. And I want to be clear, he wasn't the first storyteller, and a lot of his style did come from Big Daddy Kane, but the way he was able to tell a graphic story um, and still put flow into that. Like a lot of storytellers can't get to that level of spitting it without even writing it. You know, he wasn't even writing stuff. And he was just spitting, like just telling a story, like, and you felt like you was in the room with him. Look, story to tell, like, I really feel like I was in the room. Uh, give me the loot. I feel like I was a guy next to him robbing people, like, or watching him rob somebody. So, like, you was able to see exactly what he was talking about. I mean, let's be honest. Um, somebody got to die. Tell me that you don't see that rainfall at the end. Tell me you don't see him walking up on Jason and start shooting like you you saw that because he perfectly described all of that okay and I wish there was room for Tupac on here but to me Biggie is the epitome of what we see now in hip hop like I feel like he's where the old and the new school comes together in this game the flossing and the backpacking and the lyrics, and I feel like all that came together with him. Okay, and and just his features and remixes alone, like, yo, it really wasn't your song no more. If Biggie was on it, if Biggie was on it, it belongs to your, it belongs to Big. You know, like I said, I just said earlier, my man Trey Lee went bar for bar with him, but the masses saw this as a Biggie song. You know, so. No, much respect to Trey Lee. So I don't want no, I want no problems. I still think you're one of the illest MCs I've ever had the pleasure of listening to. But perception is what is what we're dealing with here. All right. So that's my Furious Five. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about Nick Cannon's uh, swan song. All that and more on the Ty Digger Show. <laughs> Well, hey, welcome back everybody to the final segment and just when I thought that this month, this year wasn't going to get any weirder, Nick Cannon finds a way back into the uh, main um, discourse. Um, apparently Nick Cannon, who dropped a host a while and now, who dropped a beautiful poem about you know, about Can't Breathe and, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, had a um, episode, had a conversation on June 30th of episode of Cannon's Class. The actor and TV host interviewed Professor Griff, a rapper who was part of Public Enemy before leaving the group after making anti-Semitic remarks. On the podcast, on the podcast, Cannon said Black people are the true Hebrews and talked about anti-Semitic conspiracy theories involving the Rothschild family. 
It's never hate speech. You can't be anti-Semitic when we are the Semitic people, Candace said. When we are the same people who they want to be, that's our birthright. We are true Hebrews. Um. <clears throat> now, I didn't hear that part. The clip that I saw um, talked about white people being savages and uh, things like that. And just listening to him even talk about that and, you know, more on that in a second. Just listening to him talk about that was just weird because I felt like he was using too many words. Like, you know how you just over talk a simple point, you know, kind of like how I do with my show. Uh, but um, I feel like he was using a lot of jargon and it, it this came off as rambling. Um, it came off as trying to be deep, but he was just simply rambling through the conversation and that kind of concerned me. But um, his point about white folks being savage, let's be, let's be clear. Not all white people are evil. Like, we all understand that. Not all white people are evil. Not all white people are slave owners. Um, there are a ton of good white folks in this world. Um, some of my friends are white and um, a lot of them have been extremely kind to me um, growing up. So I would never sit there and call them devils or evil or, or anything like that. But when you open up a history book though, and it's a lot of, they might not be savages, but there's a lot of barbaric activity going on like they really develop weapons that kill people better that's the hobby people got rich off that um the atomic bomb on japan on japan like that's okay the treatment of native americans um the way the uh hispanics the spanish here were treated um well let's be clear clearer the way the uh, um the Mexicans were treated. Um, then that treatment extends towards all of South America and the Caribbean. Um, slavery people, like, it's kind of make that, it's kind of make, it's kind of hard to be extremely upset about that. Now, the way he was discussing it was completely stupid, but yeah. It's, it, it, it's going to be a hard sell to get me to say, okay, you might not be barbaric, but you got to be able to admit that some barbaric stuff happened in history and it was mostly committed by the same people. Um, so I don't want to stick too long, but the, uh, it took me a few times to read the Semitic uh, conversation. And basically, you well, first and foremost, you can't please a population if you're going to be on a show with a dude who makes disparaging remarks about that population. Um, the Jewish diaspora um, is very effective in making sure Jewish hate speech is not spread around because, you know what, they actually experience how that is manifested into uh, evil intentions. Uh, so when they hear it, they're not going to sit there and tolerate it. They're going to 
band together and push to make sure that this is not going to be said, okay? Or we're just not going to support whatever you got going on. Um, you just can't erase um, one side of it. And I, and I feel like when he was like, Blacks are the only um, semantics, he kind of erased um, a culture. I get. I guess. I, I. I guess that's where the conversation comes from. The anti-Semiticism um, comes from. Again, if I'm wrong, please hit me up. Let me know that I'm wrong. But um, so I get why they're upset. Now, notice I said June 30th show. Today is June 15th. It, I think one of the issues, and Viacom ends up. Uh, severing ties with uh, Nick. And this is where I'm going to get into uh, why Nick is should have been a little smarter about this. Um, first and foremost, Nick Cannon is going to be okay. The brother is wildly talented. He's going to be on another show. Um, he'll be he'll, he'll, he can apologize and somebody's going to put him on. The brother is talented. Now, he might not be the best rapper ever, and I don't want to hit Nick Cannon bars, but Nick Cannon is going to find a way to get that bag. The issue is the people who help with wilding out. Like, a lot of those people are now out of jobs because of something thoughtless that you said. Like, come on, dude. Like, you, it's not just you. It's the people that work for you. Like, I think that's something we don't understand when we get into business or we start building corporations. Like, once you build a corporation, you're more than just you. The things that you say affect the people that work under you. It affects your brand. you got to protect your brand. So, um, in that case, I would definitely would have liked to him to uh, be a little wiser about that. At least... Think about the people that work for you, you know, the people that helped you um, make Wild Out uh, what it is. Okay. So we're going to end it there. Not going to take up more of your time. Want you guys have a good week. And I will see you on Friday. Ty Digger for the Ty Digger Show. We are out. Thank you.